Well, good morning, Broncroft. Uh, friends here in the room and online, this beautiful sun-shining day here in Rochester, New York. What a blessing that is. It's great to be with you uh, here as we continue this uh, great series, Words to Live By, uh, as we like, uh, take a uh, uh, look into the book of Romans today with you. Um, very excited about this series. Uh, last week, Pastor Rob kicked it off uh, with a message that was uh, focused on carrying around the death of Jesus so that we can live out the life of Jesus. If you've yet to uh, check that out, please go back and, and do that. Um, and today we're going to build off of that. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Romans, specifically verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 12, um, and uh, Paul's letter to this church in a message titled, Finding Hope in Affliction Through Patience and Prayer. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are, are so good and you love us so much. We, we can't even put into words uh, how great your love is. And Father, we are here today seeking you, asking uh, that you would speak to us, showing us uh, what you would have for us in your word. Pray that you would use this time uh, together this morning to bring you glory uh, and help us to grow deeper in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So you've seen these perhaps in the lobby, um, these cards uh, about our series, and, and I would encourage you to pick these up and make sure that uh, you know, these could become uh, verses. The concept of the series is that there's often phrases or one-liners, if you will, that are in the Bible that can become uh, really a, a motto for us or even help us really uh, uh, lay out a specific way in which we're to live uh, our lives together um, as Christians here in this, in this world. So I'm going to open with a question for you, uh, for us, here this morning, and, and it's this. Is there a relationship or area of your life where you have given up hope? Okay, think about that for a second. Is there a relationship or area of your life where you've given up hope? Maybe you've been trying to build a relationship with your coworker, but every time you try to do so, uh, they got to tell you about this awesome vacation they've been on, and it's always better than yours, and you just get annoyed, so you just stop, okay? You forget that. Maybe you've got your neighbor uh, this time of year. I do a lot of grass cutting, okay? And maybe you've got a neighbor that uh, just mows their lawn way better than yours. So you're just like, you just look at it, and you're like, man, how am I going to ever have a real relationship with them? Maybe it's your mother-in-law. I'm just kidding. I love my mother-in-law. She's wonderful. I'm sure she's listening today, and I do love her. Uh, but seriously, um, you know, perhaps... Perhaps you're stuck. Perhaps you're stuck in a career. You've lost hope there. Perhaps you have a family member that's very far from God. You have a broken relationship, perhaps, with them. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children. The list could go on and on and on of places in our life where we've become hopeless. Well, thanks be to God. And these words to live by today, because regaining hope is within reach. It really is. Regaining hope is within reach. Let's read the verse together here. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. It's brief. I'll read it again. But very powerful. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. So before we dive in and look at these, each part of that verse, and there's three parts, we will, uh, in a moment, uh, let's just remind ourselves about what's going on here, the context of why Paul, who wrote this letter to the Roman church, 
uh, is, is instructing us in this way. This was a fast-growing church. The church was made up of a congregation of Jews and Gentiles, okay, people that uh, were a part of the old Jewish uh, law, and then new people, new converts, people that were not Jews, right, in this church. They were having relationship struggles. That's a known, a known fact of this church, too. Paul had never been to this church before, but he is writing really one of his most robust uh, uh, explanations of the gospel really in this, uh, in this church. Also, I think it's, it's worth noting, Rome, much is recorded in history on Rome, but a cultural epicenter, incredibly diverse background, socioeconomically, culturally, uh, all, all sorts of things. So Paul uh, spends the first 11 chapters of the book of Rome really solidifying, unpacking our, the theological basis for our faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? How can we, uh, uh, what does our faith mean? What are our beliefs? Okay. But when we get to chapter 12, there's a shift. Okay. Um, when you look at the beginning of chapter 12, we won't uh, look at it here closely today, but uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, therefore, right, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? This is the beginning of, of, of chapter 12. Paul is saying to us, in light of, in view of, therefore, because you are uh, saved, because, there, because you are, are, are a Christian, now I'm going to lay out some ways in which we can live with one another. Okay? That's what he's really going to focus, we're going to focus on here today. So, what do we do when we encounter these relationships or areas of our life where there's real struggle and they feel hopeless? The first thing that we are to do, according to this verse that Paul shares with us, is to rejoice in hope because victory is in Jesus. Amen? Yeah, victory is in Jesus, right? Rejoice in hope. Paul, let's, let's look at this word rejoice for a moment. Paul doesn't say, hey, be reminded of hope or uh, let's talk about hope or you should think about hope. There's a word there, rejoice, which means it's a, it indicates a celebration, a happiness, a joyfulness. It, it, it should permeate our very being, this, this hope. It's non-circumstantial. We have to begin there with the gospel. It's a true celebration. There are many verses to highlight what the gospel is and God's love for us and why we should remain hopeful. But I want to take a look at one particularly uh, this morning with you, two, two short verses in Romans 8, 38 and 39, which really, hopefully, if you've come here this morning and you're feeling less than hopeful, and as I asked that question, you got a little bit more hopeless about that particular thing you thought of, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to try to turn that around today. Okay, So Romans 8, 38 and 39. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord for that verse, right? I'm pretty sure Paul says nothing <laughs> can separate you from God's love in Christ. Zero. Nothing. Not a thing. What a blessing. What a gift. What a true, true gift. I don't have to go through all the reasons why this past 
14, 15, 16 months has been incredibly challenging, right? We've talked about that in, uh, uh, here at Browncroft, and I'm sure it's, being, it's brought up all the time in our society, whether it was things related to COVID or uh, deep political divide, racial unrest, things like that. I mean, even this week, right, we had a, a, a situation that occurred at our school board meeting right here in Penfield that was a very challenging situation with, uh, as far as relationships. Uh, people, relationships are being tested all the time. That's a fact, right? It, 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 and, and in some ways, today, maybe more now, now, now more than ever. Um, and it's easy for us, for me, if you're like me, you put on the news, you look out at the world, and you're like, man, things are just, things are just hopeless, man. Shoot, forget it. <laughs> I mean, this is, it's easy to do because we're bombarded with these messages. But um, because we have our hope in Christ, and because we um, have the ability to do so, to rejoice, God gives us that opportunity, we also need to keep our eyes fixed on things that are joyful, that are worthy of rejoicing in God's hope. And I wanted to take a couple minutes with you here this morning to talk about you, you as a church, what you have been up to during this time. Um, we're going to put some things up on the screen, but these are hopeful reminders for you that 300 new guests have connected with Browncroft during the pandemic. 25 people committed their lives to Christ and professed their faith through baptism. Praise God is right. I was, a few years ago, I would have been one of those 25 people having been baptized here at Browncroft. It's really dear to my heart. Over 400 people completed Rooted, our 10-week small group discipleship experience. 900 households per week have watched our services online. 50,000 total services streamed online. $100,000 was given back to our local community for COVID relief and support. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. See, these are the messages of hope. These are the things that we need to be putting before us, guys. Um, we need to be reminded. We need to be doing this regularly so that we can be rejoicing in hope. We need constant reminding. The world, you will not find your way into hope generally, okay? But when we put these things before us, when we put God's word before us, we can see things in a different way and find hope. And we can rejoice. A couple things for me. These aren't, you know... <laughs> some magic, uh, you know, in these, in these uh, applications or anything, but just a couple things from my heart to you that uh, God has shown me um, through my Christian life, um, I'm attempting to do, do my best with the time he's given me uh, here on this earth. And um, I really believe you have to have a plan to rejoice. All right, during the pan height of the pandemic, we'd go on hikes through Corbett's Glen Park, which is across from our house, and uh, Romans 12.12 actually was graffitied on a sign in the park. <laughs> so we'd walk through the park, and we'd see this verse, and that's great. It's awesome to see a sign you know, from God, but that's not a real plan, guys, right? That's, just, that's, that's, that's something he does for us. But having a plan, uh, reading through the scriptures, having a plan in the Bible, um, to be able to really understand the heart of God. So I heard a, a mentor of mine once said that if every day I could read the Psalms, because I would understand the heart of God, if I could read the Proverbs, because I'd understand the mind of God, if I could read the Old Testament, I'd know the story of God's people, and if I could read the New Testament, I'd know the story and the hope of Jesus Christ. I love that, right? Do I do it every day? No, but it's a great aspiration. I try to. I try to get there. 
about three years ago, I went back to this. Do you guys recognize these? I think they're in the pews now, too. We, we've now, since COVID, we've put them back, real hard copy Bibles. Do you recognize this? A real hard copy Bible. This is pages, paper, right? Right? Okay, guys, I'm telling you. Um, I ditched this about three, four years ago, reading my Bible on this, okay? Um, I, there is something very powerful about uninterrupted um, if that's a word, undistracted reading of God's word, okay? Um, I challenge us to maybe get back there. When we're spending time to God, with God, that we, we open up his word, we let the pages just run through our fingers. These words to live by may become spiritual truths for you, Right? I have a list of them that I tuck into my Bible. The Bible's big and, and weighty and meaty, right? Sometimes you pick it up and you're like, God, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know where to go. What do, I, what do I do with this thing? Well, when I get stuck or I have that, those times, um, I have some of these spiritual truths that I've printed out and they're just tucked right in my Bible. I just tuck them right in there, right? And you can go back to those and remind yourself and, and you can rejoice in the hope of Christ. Just saying, you can't tuck one of these things into a phone, okay? Just saying. Right. However, even though we find ourselves uh, rejoicing, and we set up all these things, right? We're going we're to make sure that I'm going to spend time each day rejoicing in Christ. It doesn't eliminate us from experience affliction and pain, right? Let's be real, right? We go out into the world, and we are having or are experiencing right now affliction and pain, which is why Paul gives us two, two essential instructions to finding hope in affliction, Remember our verse, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. The first one, be patient in affliction. God is working. So why is patience so necessary in affliction? Okay, that's the key word here. Why is patience so necessary? One verse that hope will put a, a fine point on it. Romans 5, verses, uh, chapter 5. Verses two through five. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also glory in our affliction because we know that our affliction produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, there it is, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out for, uh, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, patience, in patience, God is working to refine our character if we are able to remain patient. This takes time. It takes time for God to make us into his image over a lifetime or over a situation or over a relationship. We are meant to give ourselves, uh, uh, be in relationship with other people my friends, right? We are. Like, that is why we are created. We are meant, we don't just live isolated lives. We are meant to be out with, uh, with people and in relationships. Uh, but this can really cause pain. C.S. Lewis put it like this. The only way to ensure never to have your heart broken is to never give it away to anyone. I think that's pretty true. And it isn't, a po it isn't possible or avoidable to not give your heart away. So I have a beautiful wife. Her name's Kate. I think she's here today. And um, we have been married for nine years. And it's, um, 
I want to tell you a little story about the night we first met, though, okay? And if you want the real story, you can ask her afterwards, okay? But I, 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 I think this is pretty accurate as far as I recollect the story, okay? So we were... Um, invited to, we were part of this group at Browncroft at the time, it was called Graduates and Professionals. They, it was really a group of like pre-married people, you know, before marriage or people desiring to get married. They didn't call it a singles group, but you know, it was a lot of that, you know, and we, we, they would do these events and uh, uh, one night was a, it was a bowling night, okay? And I don't bowl, neither does she, we haven't been bowling since, but we went to this bowling night and there's about 30 or 40 people there. And uh, I mean, for me, for me guys, it was love at first sight. She walked in and I was like, I'm going to go talk to her. That's the way it went for me. And, um, you know, but you, you have to, obviously, it's, you know, the way, how beautiful she was is important, but you need to, to, to find out about her. So I do my best. I'm trying to position myself with the group to make sure I'm talking to her and getting her info. And I'm like, as I'm talking with her, I'm like, wow, she is more beautiful on the inside than she is on the outside. This is amazing. I, 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 need to, I need to see if I can see her again. So guys, right, what do you do when you know you want to see her again? What do you got to get? Phone number. Yeah, it's easy, right? I mean, you got to get her phone number. Yeah, I got to have a way to call her, you know, and get a hold of her. So I, um, I'm, I'm watching the, the room. I'm just like, all right, I'm going to leave. There's a group of people. I'll just, you know, walk out with her or whatever, and I'll ask her if we can, you know, you know get together again sometime. So here comes my big moment, and I'm like trying to be as courageous as I can, and I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm not going to blow this, right? And uh, so, hey, Kate, it's been a great evening. Boy, a lot of fun. And uh, boy, it'd be great to see you again sometime. Um, you think we could connect on Facebook? <laughs> Guys, I wasn't even on Facebook. <laughs> I didn't even have a Facebook account at the time. I swear to you, it was, it was ridicu- a ridiculous comment. I have no idea how that came out of my mouth. And uh, she looks up at me as the uh, beautiful, strong woman that she is. And she says, you can have my phone number. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, great story. Yeah. So, is, 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 and like any great thing that's about to start a marriage, um, as any great thing, um, you know, you, and we had a great, great time getting to know each other, and it's new and it's exciting. Any relationship, right? You're in the discovery phase, and you're just, it's just, wow, it's just great, and you're just finding out all these things, but then, you know, um, like any good thing, there can, be, there can be affliction in good things too. And so you start a life together and you think, well, you know, we'll just, boy, you know me and I know you and we'll make this happen. But we both came with, and this is a, a story and a sermon for another time, but we both came with significant relational baggage in our past. I mean, significant, okay? And I'll leave it at that. Right? I'm happy to share it with you, but another time, significant. And we had worked through some of it, but not all of it. And we brought that into this marriage. In our first couple of years of marriage, I was traveling a lot. Uh, Kate was working in Syracuse. We were living in Rochester. I mean, we had all sorts of misunderstandings. And God encouraged us in that time to be patient. Some of the people sitting in this congregation encouraged us to be patient during that time and just to continue to hang in there. You know, and nine years later, here we are, you know, still together with three beautiful children, you know, and, and God's still working on us. But, you know, we had our moments of, of, of wonderful times, but man, there, there were some tough ones. And 
when we're patient in affliction, God's handiwork, that's what he was trying to do. He's trying to perform his handiwork in our lives. It can be complete and full. And God is always doing more than we know. God was doing way more in Kate's life than I realized, and, and the same for, for me. But we needed to be patient to allow that to be lived out. Many times, guys, we just give up way too early, don't we? We just give up way too early. And God is going to continue to do more amazing things if we let him. We have to be patient in affliction because God is working. We've got to be patient. But in our affliction, God gives us access to his power to remain patient and to find his answers in life's painful challenges. He doesn't leave us on our own. You see, we don't just like hang out in patience. Boy, this is really hard. I'm being patient. God, what do I, you know, what do I do? No, he gives us an opportunity to access his power, to talk directly to him. He allows us to pray. That's what prayer is, a conversation with God. He allows us to come to him, which is why Paul gives us the second essential instruction to finding hope in affliction, which is to be persistent in prayer. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. All right, what is persistent prayer? Okay, that word persistent. Okay, in the Greek, the word means shameless. Okay? This suggests an unashamed, unashamed, repeated approach to God. Maybe you've asked for something before, but you stopped, right? We, this is not just a, hey, I, um, I really want this person to change, or I want to change, or I want the situation to change, and I'll pray once and over. Persistence is not that. This is a unashamed, repeating your request to God. That's what persistent prayer is. One of the greatest stories in the Bible, um, I believe, about persistent prayer is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know the story. Right? Here he is, three years on this planet, about to come to the culmination of his mission. He is in this garden, he's gone with his friends who fall asleep, right? Talk about affliction. He's got enough on his plate, but they fall asleep on him. He's in the garden. The scriptures say that his sweat, he was up all night, his sweat was actually like blood, right? Knowing what was before him, knowing the pain of, of all that he was leaving behind him, right? All of these emotions. And I, we, this was actually not the first time Jesus had prayed this prayer, which we're going to look at in Mark 14, 36. So let's look at what he says. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. There's other recorded scriptures where Jesus had had talked about the flesh being weak and that he was one, asking uh, the Father to take this away from him. But God, in this situation, he didn't take the cup away from him. Right? So what did he do? Well, I think you can look at this scripture and you can see that Jesus knew there was a greater purpose to what he was about to do. That though there was affliction in his life, though there was affliction right then and there, and he was about to endure some of the greatest affliction of all time, that God is encouraging us, God encouraged Jesus to stay the course and to be patient and remain hopeful in the affliction. Praise the Lord, right? 
that Jesus stayed the course, amen, <laughs> right? Praise the Lord that Jesus stayed the course in the greatest act of perseverance of all time because it resulted in our salvation and our hope of eternity, right? But there is more here, okay? There is more. And Jesus knew this also, which is why he asks this cup to be taken away from him. You see, God, if he didn't believe it, he wouldn't have prayed it, that God could actually change the plan. He could do something different, right? Not my will, but your will, Father. But he asked it, or else he wouldn't have asked it. And now because Jesus Christ has done what he has done and conquered sin and death, we can go to God, right, through Christ and ask persistently in prayer for him to show up in a big way in a situation. One more verse to put a fine point on it. John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so the Father will be glorified. Wait, whatever? Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so the Father will be glorified. I have a, um, I, I work in a ministry that is amazing. It's called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, I've been in this role for uh, nine years now. I lead the state of New York. Our, our, our attempt to advance the kingdom of God is through the lives of coaches and athletes, helping them grow in their faith, essentially what we do. Um, we have, I, I get the opportunity to work with amazing people. I mean, amazing, from staff to volunteers, um, board members and people that give. It's just an amazing, amazing uh, group of people. I feel uh, blessed every single day of my life that I get this opportunity uh, to, to be with them. Um, but in any leadership position, many of you find yourselves, and we're all leaders, right? Leader in your home, leader in your business, wherever. So this hopefully will apply and hit home for you, leading for, for Christ. Um, we find ourselves having to wrestle through issues and challenges with people. Right, it just happens. You just you. I, so I, I am. You know, I, I'm in this position uh, um, that this happens um, from time to time. So this past year, uh, we had a, 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 an issue that arose, and it was a racial matter. Right. Um, we we have a very diverse. There's a very diverse group of people. Obviously, athletes and coaches are a very diverse group of people. So um, you know, we're we're working with all all different people, and we had a a, a situation where there was some. Uh, an offense, really. It was a racial matter, and, and, and there was two people, and I was in the middle. I had a relationship with, with both of them, and, um, you know, one had, had done something to the other, and they're, they're just, this was this back and forth, right? It was, it was a really challenging situation. It, it, actually, it actually was um, something that could have been, could have been very divisive uh, in, in a lot of ways. It was, it was a pretty serious matter. And just to bring a little bit more context for me personally, this wasn't the first time, not with these individuals per se, but that within our, our group and our ministry uh, across the state where we were battling through some of these issues before, okay, and, and really trying to seek the Lord and asking God to show up and, and really refine us. And so I, I, if I was being candid with you, I when this, when this all happened and I recognized that I was going to need to be involved in this, I was a bit tired, 
right? And I, and I was a little bit, uh, I'll say it, I was a little bit hopeless believing that like this could really get resolved. I, I, I just, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I gave up, but I, but I really was very, I was very frustrated and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I really didn't. So um, I did what I normally do. I'm a, I'm a Mr. Fix-It, okay? My dad can fix anything. I pretty much got that from him. So I'm like, I'm going to get in there. I think I know who is right and who is wrong. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to fix this thing. Let me get on the phone and deal with this, okay? That's what, I, that's what I do, okay? So I get ready to dial the number of the person I think might be the one that needs to come across the aisle first. And the, the Holy Spirit stops me dead in my tracks. Put the phone down, okay? So I'm like, all right, God, now what? <laughs> Put the phone down. And he's saying, Pray. You've asked me before, ask me again. Before when you asked, you still held on to the fact that you thought you could fix this. Now I want you to let me have it, the whole thing. Give it away. So I did, I was like, God, you're right, because I can't do anything about this. And I know that I can ask for this because you say whatever, as long as it brings you glory, Mark 14, 36, and because God desires racial reconciliation, I can go to him and ask for that. That's not, a, that's not a wondering, do I get to ask for this? I know that, right? That is God's will, right? So I go and ask for this. So I'm like praying and I'm praying and I'm praying, and God's just showing me, boy, Dave, you know, like, I want you to pray for this. I want you to pray for this person. I want you to pray for, both, for all parties. But this one person, I want you to, I want you to pray over them, um, that they would have a humble spirit, okay? Humble spirit. This word, these two words, humble spirit, very distinct, coming to my mind. I'm praying now, uh, Father, please give this person a humble spirit. So prayer ends. Next day, I'm, you know, now I wake up and I'm like, like, you know, look at my phone. Is it fixed yet? You know, like, God, what is this? You know, what do we do now, right? And all of a sudden I get a phone call and it's the individual that I was praying that over and they, they start to tell how they, they believe they really need to, you know, apologize and they say that, they need to, the words come right out of their mouth, I need to have a humble spirit. The same exact words. I needed that. I did. I really did because my doubt, my fear, my worry, my tiredness, whatever it was, I was doubting. I was thinking that I could do something about this. And what I really needed was persistent prayer to ask the Lord to do what only he could do, which is change a heart, right? And change the situation. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. So what's the greatest challenge to persistent prayer in our day? What is the greatest challenge? There's many. Is it doubt? Is it fear? Is it we're tired? Is it repeated failure, right? Or repeated no's? What is it? I may contend uh, that in, in our world today, there may not be a greater barrier or challenge to us persistently praying than hurriedness or busyness. Okay. There's a really great book that I would recommend uh, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, it is by a pastor out in Oregon named John Mark Comer. Um, it is incredibly brilliant, profound, an assessment of our day and age, the challenges we face, and how to slow our lives down. One of his mentors, John Ortberg, states in the book this, that we need to cultivate patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. We need to practice 
friends, the art of slowing down, the discipline of slowing down our lives. You see, my quick fix-it attitude would have ruined that situation. I needed to slow down and make room for God. You see, without slowing down, friends, we can't hear from God. We can't. We're too busy. We're too distracted. We're running around too much to hear from God if we don't slow our lives down. Without hearing from God, we will be more likely to give up hope. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. As we conclude our time here today together, we're, we're going to we're going to spend some time together uh, before we leave. Um, I want to practice this with you. Okay? We're going to take two minutes of time here to slow our lives down. Just two minutes. For some of you, uh, two minutes will feel like an eternity. For others, two minutes will feel like it just went by in a blink. And I know that everyone in here wants to find hope in affliction through patience and prayer. I, there's not a single person, if we said, do you want that? They would say, yes, of course. Of course I do. Well, let's slow down for a few moments and let's ask him this question. Going back to where we started, is there a relationship or an area of your life where you have given up hope? I want you to bring it to mind right now. Ask for his patience Confess your need for him and shamelessly ask him again. Rejoice in his hope. Let's do it together.
Father, you have heard every prayer here this morning. You know the hearts of every individual. And Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would be joyful today. Lord, I know that you are, that we're lifting these up to you. Uh, pray for the hearts of the individuals here, Lord, and what they have confessed to you, what they have shared with you. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability, Lord, to rejoice in your hope every day of our lives. Lord, to be patient in the afflictions of life, to never give up. Lord, and forgive us for the ways that we have not been persistent in our prayers with you, but give us the ability, Lord. Give us the strength. Give us the courage to be shameless in our approach to you because we know that whatever we ask in your name, Lord, Lord, you will, you will be listening and you will be speaking to us and showing us, Lord, the only answers that we can find are in you. So I thank you for this morning. I pray, Lord, as we go about our day that we would never give up hope because we've remained patient and we've made more and more room each day to hear from you, the one who loves us most. In Jesus' name, amen.